This is your host, Natalie Allport, and welcome back to the All In Podcast. If you are new here, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you do not miss any new episode drops. And if you're not new here, but you have not yet left a review, please do so. That would mean a lot. And it is the best way for us to grow this podcast and reach and impact more people. Now, today on the podcast, we have Reed Meyer, the co-founder of Athletes to Athletes, where they consult athletes on how they can make the best decisions when it comes to academic, athletic, social, and financial aspects and college recruiting. Essentially, they consult high school athletes and their families on making the best decisions for them on the college sports process. In this episode, we talk about Reed's history, what he went through as a college athlete and how that contributed to what he does now, what something he wishes people knew about college sports is, an overview of kind of how college sports recruiting goes in the USA, some of the pressures being put on high school athletes. He also talks about new things, especially with NIL, that is changing the college recruiting process, as well as tips and advice for athletes to forego some of the pitfalls that he made or the experiences that he had. I was really appreciative of Reed coming on and being so upfront and transparent with some of the struggles that he went through as a college athlete. And it's amazing to see that he is using that and the way that he went through them to give back to the next generation of athletes. So without further ado, let's go all in. Bree, welcome to the All In Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to dive into this. I mean, we've worked together, um, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk about further on in the in the podcast. But could you give a brief rundown of what you do now? Yeah, absolutely. So I am the co-founder of a company called Athletes to Athletes. Um, we are a one-on-one advising service for high school student athletes that want to pursue college athletics in the states. Awesome. And let's let's go like dive back into your history. How did you get there? Because I know you have a degree in exercise science. So a little bit different than, you know, starting a business advising uh, college athletes or prospective college athletes, although there is a tie in of, of the athletic world. So what was your childhood like? Like what led to basically doing what you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. So I will uh, try to make this as relatively condensed as possible. And then we can dive into pieces that are more interesting than others. Um, so I grew up uh, very much in a sports family. My dad played college baseball growing up. My sister was involved in dance. Um, my mother was probably the smart one of the group. She didn't do sports, but uh, she was always very supportive, very, very much a mom on that end. Um, so I grew up playing all kinds of different sports. Um, found out around 12 years old or so. Um, I was six foot. I was left-handed and being in Texas, couldn't hit anybody, was scared to play football. So baseball was my option. Um, so specialized relatively early in my in my sports career, started playing baseball, figured out I had a bit of a knack for it and uh, got recruited all through high school, ended up at Texas Tech University for my freshman year on scholarship. And uh, to put it lightly, I guess, spiraled a little bit when I was in college, um, ended up going to four different universities in three and a half years, graduated from the University of Texas, ultimately um, with, with a degree in exercise science, and then actually ended up going back from a master's degree at the University of Texas uh, in sport management. So that was sort of my my upbringing through uh, through school and um, worked for worked as a coach for a couple of years, which I think probably any athlete at some point in time has probably done some degree of that. Um, worked in the front office of a minor league hockey team in Texas, which is about as dysfunctional as you can probably guess that it is. Oh, yeah. And uh, and uh, and then worked for a larger corporate company uh, for for media rights and streaming for sports. So worked there for about four years. Um, so I kind of did the whole gambit of, of the sport world. I did the coaching aspect of it, did front office with the team, did corporate, um, and really just didn't have a passion for any of those things, to be quite honest with you. My, my passion was working with with student athletes sort of through my own previous experiences. And, uh, and so I took a leap of faith with a co-founder and we've been doing this ever since. And it's been a blast. 
Super cool. Because I think a lot of athletes, when they kind of step away from their time in sport or their athletic career, they want to stick around sports because it's kind of like what you've done your whole life. Right. And so it's cool that you got a taste of everything and you're like, Hmm, maybe this isn't for me. And then you pursued creating your own opportunity and kind of carving out your own niche in the sports world. For sure. Yeah. I think one of the things that was most surprising to me whenever I, I kind of started looking out into, into job world and stopped focusing on just playing my sport was how diverse the sports world is. I forget that it's a multi-billion dollar economy in and of itself. And the number of things, the number of branches that you can sort of shoot off into to work in is, is amazing. I, I couldn't believe how many options I had coming from a sport background. Mm, that's very true. I think people do forget about that. They think like sports, they just think front office and there are all these different facets, whether it's athlete management, it's creating sports content, it's sports podcasting. It's um, yeah, it's front office, like you said, or consulting other athletes or coaching. It's just like anything else. Like if you're interested in desk, let's say, just cause that's right in front of me, you know, there's so many aspects, right? You could be operations. You could be an accountant in a desk company. Like there's so many different things that go around it. But I think just because of sports is something that we see one side of, we forget that there's so many other sides. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it can be plugged into anything. It feels like. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So I want to go back to kind of you, you touched over, you know, what happened when you went to college and I'd love to go over that where you kind of went through, you said four different schools, um, and you kind of spiral. Let's, let's dive right into that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, starting, I think the, the recruiting aspect is, I think kind of where it needs to start. Um, I was for lack of a better term, a, a fairly high I was not quite a blue chip guy, but I was a highly recruited person. I was six, four left-handed pitcher could, could throw multiple pitches for strikes. Um, wasn't the fastest thrower in the world or pitcher in the world, but I had enough check boxes that, that I was intriguing to, to a, a good number of folks down here in the States from, from a baseball perspective. And so my recruiting actually started my sophomore year. I started getting, you know, the questionnaires and the emails and the camp invites. And it is amazing how, inundated you can get with those things, regardless of sort of where you are in the recruiting hierarchy. It's amazing the type of data that these schools have and, and what they're able to sort of push out to you in, in any one of these sports. And so I kind of jumped into that world my sophomore year, and it was a bit of a whirlwind for me all through my, my graduation. I kind of got to see the highs and the lows of going to different colleges and meeting different coaches and seeing what it was like for them to recruit me with an expectation, what it was like for me to be recruited, whether I did or did not hit those expectations by the time it came time to sign papers and actually give offers and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually signed on with a junior college uh, initially. It was closer to my home, smaller area. My pitching coach was actually the the coach at that, at that junior college. And for me, it seemed like a good fit. I was, I was young for my age. So I was graduating at 17 instead of 18. I felt like it was going to be a smaller environment. I was going to be able to develop a little bit more. And so that's what I was going to do. And the fall of my senior year, I had been recruited by Dartmouth uh, University, which is up in the Northeast in the States. And uh, thought I was going to go there, was going to use athletics to sort of get me to a higher academic school. And August rolls around my senior year and the coach calls me up and says, hey, by the way, we've had your grades since May when you were done with school. Now, all of a sudden, we don't think you can get in. We're going to go do something else. Whether that was athletic, whether that was academic, one can only speculate. Um, but at the end of the day, it was August of my senior year and I had no options. So tried to, to get on with, with this junior college, was able to walk on, super excited about it. November rolls around. And I got an offer from Texas Tech University. Went to a went to a showcase. Had a pretty good had a pretty good weekend. They offered me a scholarship. Um, after speaking with my parents, after speaking with some other folks that I sort of trusted in my circle, I, I decided to sign with Texas Tech. But when I tell you I signed with tears in my eyes, that that would be true. And and I think a lot of it came from anxiety because in my gut I knew that I was doing it because other people told me I should, or I was doing it because it sort of filled the expectations of what was expected of me and not necessarily what felt right in the moment. Um, and that would come back to backfire on me a little bit whenever I did in fact get to get to tech. Um, and I will say it has nothing to do with the school as a whole. I think Texas tech is a wonderful university. I think that the people there that I met were fantastic. I still have, you know, long time lifelong friends from that experience, 
But for me, I, I wasn't prepared to go to West Texas four hours away from where I lived. I wasn't prepared to take the classes that I took. I didn't even know what major I had until I showed up. They just handed me classes and were like, you're an exercise science major. So I didn't, I hadn't even thought of that. And so three weeks into this process, I'm calling my mom in my dorm going, what did I, why did I do this? What happened? This is terrible. And I just don't really know how to handle it. Um, so fast forward to winter semester of my freshman year and I get home and my sister who has sort of always been my best friend ever since I was growing up, uh, pulled me aside and was like, Hey, something's wrong with you. Like, this is not, you're not the same person. You're a shell of who you were. You know, I was gone. I had lost a ton of weight and I didn't really have weight to give at that time in my life. Um, and so I ended up going to therapy on, on her recommendation and, and spoke with them and turns out that sort of through my first experience in college, I had gotten an acute case of depression um, that was sort of brought on by an extreme sense of social anxiety that I was getting when I was at school. And because of sort of the environment that I was put in from an athletic standpoint, I had actually um, gotten a fun little case of body dysmorphia as well that had led to an eating disorder. So I had lost 60 pounds since I left home in August. So from August to December, I had lost 60 pounds whilst trying to eat as much as I possibly could and work out more than I ever had before because I was with a division one program. Um, and so that to me was a bit of a wake up call of like, Hey, this isn't working. Like this is not going the way that I wanted it to. And so I finish out my spring semester um, just kind of for lack of a better term, to be honest with you, fight through it. I mean, I, I traveled a little bit with the team. I didn't really make a lot of the conference rosters, um, but I wasn't in a good place mentally or physically. And so I can't really blame them for that. Um, and as I was leaving Lubbock, I called my mom and was like, I'm not going back there. I'm not doing that anymore. And so ended up going to a junior college, uh, Weatherford College, right next to where, where I lived. It was a little bit closer to home, it was smaller. It was more manageable. My pitching coach was there. Um, and I went there for a year as a walk-on and had a great fall semester. Um, in, in, in junior college for baseball, you play a fall season and you play a spring season as opposed to just a spring. So my fall season, I crushed it. I don't think I gave up. One earned run that whole time uh, was great. was a weekend starter. Just everything was going well. Um, talking to schools, went on quite a few official visits. And at the end of all of it, um, didn't really have a, a strong idea. Didn't really have a strong emphasis on any school that I was talking to. And so I kind of took it into the spring spring season and started to, to work there. Was still keeping in, in touch with coaches and things like that. And uh, ended up sitting the bench my spring semester. Um, my coach called me in between fall and spring and said, Hey, do you care more about baseball or do you care more about just everything else? And I didn't really know how to answer that question to be hundred percent honest with you. So I was probably more transparent than I should have been and told him, you know, I love baseball and I want to play, but I'm, I'm not a pro guy. I, that's not what I'm going to do in my life. So I have to focus on the academics. I have to focus on these other things. I have to set myself up to go to the next step of my four-year degree and I went from pitching every week, starting every weekend in the fall to getting a total of, I believe it was 11 innings over the course of the spring season or something like that. And I think six or seven of them came in like our last two games or something like that. Um, so for me, to be honest, that was just sort of a hit on me of like, man, I'm, I'm burned out. Like, this is not what I want to do. This doesn't make me happy. I'm, this was a sport. It was supposed to be fun. It's not fun. Um, and so I called all the coaches that had offered me, uh, scholarships to go to the next level. And I turned all of them down. So I'm, I'm done playing. I'm hanging them up. I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. I got mixed reviews from different coaches. Some of them thought I was joking. Some of them respected the idea. Some of them threatened me and told me if that, if I ended up on another team somewhere that they would contact the coach and whatever else. And so whole litany of responses on that, but, uh, ended up going to the university of Texas, right over here by uh, in-state, sort of our big in-state school. And uh, it was the first time that I felt relief when I decided that I wasn't going to go play sports anywhere else, which was not at all the uh, emotion that I expected to have sort of effectively ending my career. Um, so that was kind of, yeah, that was the very long-winded version of sort of what took me from starting in college sports all the way until I retired after my, my sophomore year in college. Well, I, I very much appreciate you sharing that um, because I, I also I have a, a 
you know, a very close uh, person to me who went through a very similar university experience. Um, and the, they told me the same thing where it was like the university was, they, from the outside, you think it was like the best years, but they just didn't want to be there. It was like a month before all their friends were leaving. So they're like, okay, I need to go too. So instead of taking a year off that they wanted, they just kind of, you know, went and then it ended up being just, you know, they, they don't use the degree anymore. They just have resentment for ever going back to school. Um, but they stuck it out and it was just, you know, they fell into a depression, um, because of, they just wanted to leave. They wasn't the right fit. And, uh, and I think a lot of people go through that because uh, especially the pressure on high schoolers and especially in the States, like this is, I think more so than in, uh, Canada, especially when it comes to student athletes, it's the pressure on, you know, high school student athletes to decide where they're going to go. And even just the fans that you guys get at games as a high schooler is so much different. Like I, you know, playing high school hockey, I have my parents and that's it. <laughs> Maybe not even the other kids' parents, just my parents always showed up <laughs> everything. Um, and yet again, like there was even still, there was girls from my, my high school team who went on to go to play to Princeton and stuff, but they didn't have that same pressure when, when they were at the, the high school level, which I always find is, is interesting. If you could go back, like what, what advice would you give yourself to help deal with that and, and try to make those different maybe decisions from the get-go, or was it just something you had to, had to experience and go through? Yeah, absolutely. So funny enough, you should say that um, the sort of the origin of, of my company is that exact question. Um, my last semester I had, I had a, an extra semester I needed to take or a, I was a semester off from graduation. So I had to get my own apartment. I was living by myself for about four months before I, I got my degree and literally had a pegboard in my bedroom. And as part of sort of my healing process, I guess, in this whole thing was I would just pin up questions of like, man, what, what would I have, what could have helped me prevent this whole experience? What questions could I have, could have asked myself? What questions could I have asked somebody else? Where could I have gotten a particular resource? How could this have been avoided in any capacity? And from all of those questions, and to be honest with you, there's, you know, I literally wrote a book on like all the things that I screwed up on essentially. Um, that's sort of how our program built out. And, and part of that was also calling other student athletes and saying, Hey, this happened to me and this sucked. I didn't like this. Did you have something like this? And they were like, yeah, more often than not, it was, it was the norm rather than the exception, which was crazy to me. They're like, yeah. we talk about all the wonderful things and we talk about all the highlight videos and all the top 25 programs or whatever. And we don't talk about the extremely high rate of depression that you have in student athletes, the re-identification issues that student athletes have when they decide to play, whether they decide or a team decides or an injury decides or anything like that. And so from talking to all those other student athletes and, and sort of going through my own process, that's, that's what we did. We tried to address all of those questions to try and help the next generation of student athletes not fall into those same pitfalls. Um, now looking at it where I am and what we've been able to create because of it, I would not change anything because I think I would, I needed to go through that process in order right. to sort of see what this could be, um, to try and, to try and create ways to prevent it. Um, but if I'm being selfish, I would have preferred not to have gone through all of that. I would have kept the 60 pounds and, uh, and done some of those types of things. Um, but that's just not how, not how life decided it was going to go. Yeah. Well, I, f I feel that. And I think it's, it's awesome that people who have gone through those kind of things are able to, you know, you're able to get to a place now where you can go and help the next generation try to avoid those pitfalls. And, um, I, I, that's, I have the exact same perspective when I look back at some of the things I went through, like leaving snowboarding and, and not making the Olympics and those exp that experience this is the exact same thing. It's like, okay, how can, uh, I help other people because it, again, I realized that I was not the exempt, um, the exemption. It was, you know, I was actually the majority. There are a lot of athletes, even if they win the gold medals who are dealing with the same depression and anxiety and the burnout of, you know, pushing through some of these things. So how can you go back and, and help these athletes? So what were some of those, those questions that, that you ask athletes now? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the biggest one and the one that we've sort of built our entire company model on is, you know, how, how is the, the school that you're evaluating, the school that you're talking to, holistically satisfying you? Does it satisfy you academically? Does it satisfy you athletically? Does it satisfy you financially, personally, location-wise? There's all these different aspects that go into the process. And unfortunately, especially down here in the States, because of such, because of the economy size of college athletics, we tend to, at the recruiting level, base, you know, 100% of our college decision on what is going to be 
20% of our college experience in the athletic side. And so really pulling that part out of the equation, honestly, for a period of time, because if you're going to be a college athlete or you have that desire, your work ethic and trying to get to the next level is not going to change. Whatever I tell you is not going to change. So let's put that in a box, let's put it over here. And now let's handle all these other pieces. So that when you re-inject that box into the equation, it fits and you can see whether it fits or not. And, and so that's the biggest thing that, that I think we would, that we start with. And that's sort of what we grow from is how does this school or how can we determine if this school is hitting these other touch points for you? And more importantly, as a, again, 15, 16 year old, we don't want them to have their career figured out, but like, what are your passion points? What are your things that excite you? What are the things that you can see yourself doing? What are the things that you can see yourself not falling asleep in class for? What are, who are people in your life that you look up to from a business perspective or a lifestyle perspective or whatever it might be? And just sort of helping them have a space to have those conversations and explore those things so that they can put that as part of their college experience and, and part of their college decision. Because nine times out of 10, and I was the same way, and a lot of kids that I work with, you don't get asked those questions as a student athlete. No. You get asked questions, you know, who's the highest ranking deal right now? What are your stats? What schools have you visited? Who's talking to you? It's all these things that aren't going to help you in 40 years. They're going to help you in four yeah. Yeah. Four, if that, you know, like, and then yeah. be going to a different school in, you know, half a semester. Um, yeah. yeah, it is, it is so crazy. And I think, I think it's just part of the culture in sports, right? Like, you know, I, I think to go pro, you have to have the belief that you can do it, but at the same time, probably 99% of student athletes think that they're going to go pro when the stat is very different from that of who, who does go pro. Do you ever have to speak with athletes about that? And just, you know, especially athletes who say, you know, I'm going to sacrifice all these other pieces because I'm going to make it. How do you maybe help them figure out, okay, you can still try to, to make it pro or still try to pursue, you know, this, this college, the sports side or the athletic side, but these pieces will actually still help you. How do you have that negotiation? Cause I've, I've seen you can still go pro without making, you know, those, those same sacrifices, or at least, you know, still having some of those, um, the social part, the financial part, the, um, personal part, those things still kind of fulfilled. Like there's a balance there. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I think for us, the biggest thing is, is a being as sort of blunt and transparent as we possibly can through the process. One of the things where we differentiate ourselves from, from some other companies that, that do similar things that we do is that all of our advisors are former college athletes and relatively and relatively young for the most part. So we can speak from a place of I've been there. I've done that. I've experienced those things. So what I'm telling you holds merit and holds credibility. It's amazing how it's a bummer that we need to have that. But even myself, when I was going through the process, I had fantastic resources from a college counseling experience, uh, from a coach experience, things like that. But for me, it was really easy in the back of my head to go, oh, well, you didn't, you didn't go through what I went through. You coached or you did this. You, did, you don't know what it's like to do what I'm doing. So to have somebody sit across from you in a, in a meeting and say, no, no, I know exactly what you're trying to do because I did it. And now I'm here to tell you that these things matter regardless of how important this aspect is of what you're doing, does tend to resonate a lot with the kids that we work with. And I think too, the, the growth of current, especially professional athletes, sort of diversifying their, their worlds, whether it be from a venture capitalist perspective or investing equity and endorsements that they're doing, business deals, media companies, whatever it might be, Players across the board are starting to identify themselves beyond just what their sport is. So when you talk about Steph Curry, you can talk about his venture capitalist firm. When you talk about Brandon Marshall, you can talk about his I Am Athlete podcast. You can talk about these things that identify these folks in other ways and, and have shown growth in other aspects. So that when you talk to these kids, you can say, okay, let's, let's, let's say for all intents and purposes, everything goes perfectly. You're that 0.01%. You go and you do these things. The folks that you look up to and the folks who are creating career pipelines for themselves, what are they doing? They're diversifying who they are. They're, they're beyond just their sport. They're beyond just the athletic piece of the puzzle. And to do that, why would you wait until you've gotten to that point to try and figure out what that is when you can try to work on that now and build towards it in college, when you're literally at an establishment whose whole job is to help you develop personally and gain skills in areas that you're passionate about. So if you're going to be there and they're going to charge you money and they're going to make you work and they're going to make you go on these places. They're going to make you represent the school, get something back from that school, make make them work for you. 
And so that tends to resonate with those kids. That's yeah. That I think giving that relation to a pro athlete, I think I, I had to make a relation on a, like a TikTok video that we we did for 93 agency, just about athlete marketing. And a lot of athletes say, you know, I don't need to post myself on social media. I'm going to be the best. Like it doesn't matter. And I, so I like to make the relation. Okay. So let's take LeBron James, the best in basketball, arguably of, of kind of this era right now. And let's think about what he does outside of basketball, right? Similarly, he has a venture capital. He has the uh, Spring Hill entertainment. Um, he has uninterrupted. He's doing, uh, I think it's pencils for promise. Like he's doing all these different things and whether it's, you know, generating more income, generational wealth, whether it's actually just helping the community with his charities, like there's all these different points. And so I try to tell athletes, like, look at that as, as a kind of a blueprint and see all these ways he's diversifying. And so you can't really make the argument, like I'm going to be the best. So I don't have to do any of these things when the best are doing those things. Like they recognize that those things are also important. And I would argue that's part of what makes them the best. They understand their position. They understand the influence that they have. They understand the, the, the opportunity that's been provided to them. And they, they capitalize it both on and off the field or court or hill or whatever you want to, wherever they happen to be playing. I mean, it's to, to use LeBron as, as the same example. I'm fairly confident, very confident that he makes way more money off the, off the court than he does on the court. I mean, yeah. his endorsement deals and his, and his equity and his investments are, are far and beyond whatever he makes on actual basketball play. Yes, 100%. I think I, I don't remember the stat exactly. I know I put it in the video that I that I made, but it's like 80 million or something that he made last year. And I'm pretty sure it was like 50, like 60 or something was from his, his endorsements and well, beyond endorsements, but the companies he has and all these different things. And he was able to donate millions, I probably 10 plus million and for his charities and, and things like that, which is, you know, more than the salaries of, of most athletes. So it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Sounds like monopoly money for being honest. I seriously, right? Like uh, <laughs> even the other day I was actually seeing like a, a comparison of what a WNBA players makes in the whole season versus what, you know, uh, an NBA player who's getting fined per game is more. And like, and I'm like, well, that is just a crazy stat to think about. Like literally it's just here, let me pay this fine to miss this game when it's more than what most people are making in an entire year. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. To that point, though, funny enough, and this is something that we've started to notice with the kids that we're looking for. I say funny enough, it's more likely to say unfortunate enough. Um, but the the female athletes that we work with come in way more level headed than any than, than the male athletes that we come with. And I think that's both a product of just general maturity. I think a lot of times uh, yeah. girls just tend to grow up quicker. It is what it is. Um, and I think part of it too, is that unfortunately we haven't built, you know, a professional structure for the vast majority of women's athletics for that to be something that is seen as a, as a financially independent aspiration. And so they yeah. come into this process knowing like, Hey, I've got to have this, this, and this figured out. And because of that, it tends to, to pay off for them ultimately long-term, but it's, it's an unfortunate reason as to why they've sort of had a beneficial head start in that very particular part of the process. Very true. And I, I kind of see the same things. And even I've worked with some of the, um, like the athletes who have gone on to make it to these, these pro leagues and women's sports, which again, they're not really making that much. They still might manage another career. And similarly they're they don't have the same, you know, justification as the, some of the younger boys who are saying, I don't need to post on social media because I'm going to be the best. Like these are, you know, girls who are already at the top of their game and they're really invested on being on social media because they understand they need to figure out new ways to generate their innovative the leagues are even innovative of how they're marketing themselves and they also care about making that impact on the next generation which i think is yeah it's, it's lost a little bit on some of the guys who just want to go pro or get this cloud or whatever it is um I, I you know i wish those worlds could mesh a little bit so that the girls are a little less humble and a little bit more fiery about the sports and there's those opportunities and at the same time the guys learn from the girls that you got to diversify and put effort into all these different things a hundred percent. Yeah, no, there's, there's a happy medium in there somewhere, I'm sure. Um, and, and, and then, so with the introduction of NIL in the States, I mean, from what I remember in, in probably reading a bit of a dated article here, but at least when it first started, I believe like eight out of the 10 top producers on social, as far as like having a valuation of being able to market who they are, eight out of the 10 were women, were, were female athletes. 
and I think to your point, they just, they, they, you're, you're more, they well-rounded themselves much more effectively than the guys did. Yep. That's, that's hundred percent true. I think it was, there was a stat about the March madness and uh, it was a similar where the women's basketball tournament, I know this year it wasn't actually called March madness, but I think next year they're going to call both tournaments March madness um, and use the same, same licensing, but um, the women, yeah, I think it was about eight out of 10 of, you know, similar stat that they were generating the most publicity, the most gains and followers um, throughout the time. Uh, funny enough, a lot of it was through documents the inequalities of the tournament that a lot of girls gain millions of followers on TikTok from, you know, showing those behind the scenes. But I would say similar, probably similar happened with the Olympics. I'd love to, to get some of those stats to come out and see, you know, who came out of the Olympics gaining the most followership and audience of, you know, male or female athletes. Because from my end, just being on TikTok, there were a lot of girls just crushing the behind the scenes content and gaining hundreds of thousands of followers in the process. Yeah, no, that's... That's a really good point. Yeah. I feel like when it comes to the Olympics and a lot of the, whether it be advertisements or sponsorships or endorsements, it really, from what I remember, it's, it's majority female led on our end when we're talking about Olympians. I mean, that's who I think of on, on our side, whenever, whenever I think about any type of, of brand deal or anything like that. So yeah, it's uh yeah, guys need to catch up on that a little bit or <laughs> at least try to figure it out something. Right, right. And I think it's also because the Olympics and, and college sports are kind of that pinnacle for women's sports um, when we don't have the same, you know, NBA or NFL or these these same opportunities. So um, that's kind of like the, opp the opportunity to highlight women's sports. And a lot of times that's that's where most people see it. They might, you know, there's the NWSL, but most people aren't really a lot of people aren't necessarily, you know, following that, but then there might be someone who's like, but I'm watching Canada versus USA soccer, um, but mm -hmm. they don't follow the league that goes on behind the scenes versus most people who are watching the soccer at the Olympics are also, you know, following uh, FIFA, they're following, you know, premier league, all these different things throughout their, their soccer fan. We need to get, get them into these other leagues for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. That is a fascinating concept that you bring up. It's, it's so if it's entertaining at the Olympics, why would it not be entertaining at every other level? How, how do you, how do you justify that? I mean, it, I've, I've never been in a more packed bar in my entire life than when the women's national team was playing in, in the world cup and in the Olympics. I mean, I've, I've never been in a busier bar than when those two things were happening. And then people just forget they exist for like another two years. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's, it's crazy. I mean, up here, same thing with, with the soccer was huge this summer, but it's also with the Canada, us, the hockey game, any hockey game is like massively watched. But then again, it's like they're, they'll be playing locally. Some of these athletes, there was a league uh, up here. They had a Toronto team, Montreal team, and some us teams. And that league um, ended up folding. I think a lot of the, the players went to the PWHPA, um, not the W, uh, SL, that's our no W. I think they completely revamped their marketing. So it's called w actually it's P. Is it called the Professional Hockey Federation now or something? Or they changed their name. It was like the the National Women's Hockey League last season, but they changed it. Anyways, but they, I feel like that's the core of the problem, though. Like, look at yeah. us. Like, how are we? Why yeah. do we not know? Why is it not so? Why is it not NHL? Right? Like, how is that yeah. not? Come I know, on, that's, us. that's the big issue. Maybe that's why they changed their name. Maybe like their new, their new <laughs> yeah. name is going to catch on in a year or two. I don't know, but yeah, it's, it's crazy how like they'll be playing locally and they won't get like any viewership. I'm like, these are the same people. Like we're seeing the same matchups. In fact, we're seeing, you know, some team Canada and us on the same team. And like, we're seeing some really cool stuff, but I just wish, uh, wish I got the same, the same viewership. We actually had a, um, the, uh, was it, it was our Canadian soccer team who just, you know, the women just came off winning gold this summer over the, the U.S. Uh, I mean, uh, anyways, <laughs> we're always good when we beat the U.S., but um, they played in in Ottawa near here. I was actually at Physio and they were all doing their training in the gym, like right across from me. But sadly, due to COVID, I couldn't go meet them or do anything. But hmm. um, but yeah, they played. I think they got six. Was it 16,000? 16,000 fans? Like with our COVID restrictions, I'm pretty sure they they sold out or they got close to like what the stadium was allowed to to hold. So that's pretty impressive. And then we have a Canadian uh, Can versus USA um, hockey coming up later this month. And I think similar, it's like pretty sold out. Like I really struggled to try to find tickets. Um, so that's that's at least good. But hopefully that stuff kind of continues like year round, not just like in Olympic years. Absolutely. Yeah. Whoever can, whoever can figure out that, that secret sauce to get it to, to jump from 
what two year stretch to two year stretch, whatever it might be. That's, that's going to make a lot of money. Yeah. So I, I want to flip the, flip the script back to um, talking about college sports and what is something that you wish people, like if, if there's a young high school athlete listening or there's a parent listening, what is something that you wish that people knew about college or college sports before they got to that level? Something that, you know, most people don't think of and then all of a sudden they get there and they realize. Yeah. Oh man, that's a great question. I think for for me, the biggest thing, and, and this is probably a, a low hanging fruit, but it's so important is that, you know, when you make that shift from high school sports, select sports, whatever it may be to college sports, depending on what division you go into, um, it's different. It, it becomes a business. It, it really does. And, and that the severity of that change differs based on program and, and based on division. Um, but for me, like I loved baseball because it was fun. It was a sport. It, it brought me joy. I enjoyed playing it. Um, you are now playing for somebody whose livelihood and whose family's livelihood is dependent on you and other 19 to 21 year old kids winning a sport, which is a preposterous mentality. And they're getting paid millions of dollars on some occasions. I mean, anywhere from six to seven figures to win sports games for children. Like that's pretty much what it comes down to. Um, and, and we all understand the implications that that has on, on the state's enrollments and the endowments boosters. And so I, I get that there is an economy there and it, it's, it's massive, but you have to understand that if you get there, they're going to recruit you hard if they like you and they want you, and they're going to tell you all the wonderful things and all the great things. But when you show up, if you're 1% less likely to win a game than the other person in your position, you won't play they're going to play the person who's going to keep their own kids in high school at the same high school for four years. They're going to play the kid who they think is more likely to pay their bills for their house at the end of the month or at the end of the year. That's how this works. So you need to either love the game enough to be willing to be around it, play, not play, be involved. That it, The joy and, and the love that the sport has to bring you has to outweigh what the potential of not playing, the potential of getting hurt, all these other aspects. Um, for me, that was a, that was something that I never really comprehended. I never really made that jump. And so when we got, when I got to college and it became a business and, and things were treated as such, I didn't pivot effectively. And I think that is part of what affected my mentality is that I had to sort of restructure how I looked at this sport that I played and I loved. I had to then look at it as a essentially job that I did while I was at my school. So mm -hmm. that's something that I think doesn't, isn't driven home enough for people. Um, that would probably be the biggest one for me. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. And that being said, like, what are maybe some skills, maybe three skills that you think would be like the most important for high schoolers to work on, whether it's like communication or just, just basic skills before they get to that college level to prepare even, even beyond sports, like also for the academics and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I think communication is huge. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that one from you. That one's massive, whether it be coaches, whether it be admissions, whether it be teachers, whenever you get to college, whatever that is, you, if you cannot effectively communicate with the people around you, it's going to be such a long, more arduous process. I think time management is huge. Your ability to all the way from high school through your recruiting classes, all the way into trying to manage being a student and an athlete all at the same time is massive. Um, and I think, mental toughness is probably, is probably the last one, not from this. And I, and I don't say that to say, Hey, ignore when you're not feeling good or ignore when things are to quite the opposite, like be aware of when those things are happening, be aware when you're surrounded by stressors, be aware when you are in situations that you feel are unhealthy or, or unbeneficial for you, and then create ways to, whether that be through therapy or through coping mechanisms or whatever else, like find ways to, work through those moments in this process, because when it comes to the recruiting, when it comes to the playing, it's not, it's not for the meek of, of, of heart. It is a, it is a anxiety inducing process. Um, and it does, and, and it, it kind of stays that way while you're playing a lot of the times. Now you could be a blue chip person who gets all the interviews and gets all the NIL deals and it's easy for you. And that's wonderful, but that's not most people. And that's not what most people talk about whenever we have conversations with other college athletes and other former college athletes. It's, it's just, it's not easy. 
I love what you said about mental toughness because that's we've actually done an episode about that where we say like mental toughness is you know, people put it on you know there's mental toughness and then there's taking care of your mental health and they're like opposite uh, opposite sides of the spectrum or they say yeah. you know mindfulness is over here and and motivation is over here or um, self love is over here and self improvement is over here and I'm like no they, they're all together like it's self improvement from the place of self love it's um, like you said mental toughness from the place of being open and vulnerable about your mental health because it's tough to to work through those things and actually go through it's that's the tough choice is that it's not tough to just like ignore it wipe it under the rug and just keep pushing until all of a sudden you have a breakdown it's tough to like face it and go through those things so I'm glad that you came at it from that same perspective absolutely yeah I think it I feel like the more and more that I talk with the younger generation of athletes and the younger generation of kids they seem to be a little more on board with that and seem to understand it a little bit better. I think we're much more open about talking about that. I think professional sports have done, has done a better job of talking about that. I think you and I, when we were playing sports and our parents, it, it was very much, that was the mentality, right? I mean, like I, if I showed emotion on a, on a baseball field, that was what got talked about after the, after the game. Mm. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why are you X, Y, Z? And so I got sort of drilled in my brain that like, if you're a robot, that means you are beating whatever mental tribulations you may have at that moment. Um, and that's just not, you can't hold that down forever. It's impossible. Yeah, no, it's impossible. I think I've, I've, you know, in my athletic career, I try to seek that out too. Like how can I basically become a robot where it's like input in, it's like food training, all this, like <laughs> sleep, whatever output out best athlete possible like there and then you forget like there's a reason why we're human beings and not computers and robots we don't just run programming that just make us like the super athlete like we have to deal with you know what's going on and um and it's not like becoming the person who can become the most robot like who can just ignore all those emotions and feelings makes you the best no it's like embracing that it's actually like leaning into it and i think for a long a long uh time myself but also a lot of athletes kind of go to the side of, okay, how can I become the most robotic that I can be? But actually it's almost the opposite where we have to get even more in touch with, you know, our feelings, emotions, all these things to be able to work through those things rather than sweep them under the rug because it, it bites us all back. And every athlete I've talked to, it's, it's bitten them back at some point. A hundred percent. So if we could, um, well, let's just, let's, let's kind of finish this off with a, a couple of things. One, where do you see like the college recruiting process going? Are there any new things coming up? And as well as with NIL, um, what's like some piece of advice that you would give, I guess, to high school athletes or, or parents who are trying to evaluate what college to go to um, and, and keeping NIL and all those new exciting things or where you think recruiting process is going in mind? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I do think that the, I think the NCAA sees the writing on the wall and they, they kind of, their shell was broken with the NIL. They kind of got proven that they could sort of be tossed around a little bit when, when enough people realize that they're not treating the student athletes as well as maybe we'd like them to. So I think there's potential to have sort of a, a, a bit of a wild West mentality in the NCAA. I know, I think it was yesterday they released a, a some notes to essentially asking to kind of blow up the association in its current form, minimize the rules, put a lot of power into the, the conferences. Now, if it happens, who knows if it happens, how long does it take all those different things? Um, but in the short term, in the meantime, I think you, you hit perfectly. NIL is the biggest thing to happen in college sports in a decade. I mean, since probably the inclusion of media rights. Um, and I think the, the the biggest thing is going to be exactly like you said, helping helping families and parents understand that you can make the most of an NIL opportunity really wherever you go. And sometimes it's more advantageous to to go to a smaller school or go to a a school that's a better fit than to just try to go to Alabama or just try to go to Texas or just try to go to LSU or these these big powerhouse marketing programs. And I'm I'm speaking from a football perspective just because that's easy for the NIL yeah. stuff, but insert, you know, UConn for women's basketball, South Carolina for women's basketball, whatever it might be. Um, it's going to be more important to build out and create a foundation for your own personal brand and then find where that slots into a place that fits you in all those different holistic aspects that we discussed earlier. I think that's the, I think that's the key to it. Um, Cause at the end of the day, like no one, not even being rude, but like 
no one's knocking on the door of the third string cornerback for Alabama. Yeah, you're on Alabama, but if you really want to go for NIL opportunities, there's probably going to be team deals that you can capitalize on, but you're not going to have an opportunity to create who you are as an individual in that perspective. But if you wanted to go to a division two and you wanted to create a regional partnership with a bow hunting company because you grew up in the outdoors and you love that, then that is a personal brand that you have created and you can prioritize and you can build a foundation on that not only is going to help you in the college process, but it's probably going to help you beyond whether it be continuing endorsements or job opportunities or career fields for people that you meet. Um, and these are all things that, you know, I know you touch on in, in the the boot camp that you did for us and in, in our program. And I think getting past the flashiness of these big programs and these big deals that these one or two or three kids sign is the key. If you can look past that and you can see your opportunities beyond that and see the field there, then the world is your oyster. I love that. And I think like you alluded to it in that NIL bootcamp course, I think one of the examples that we made was, you know, Nike sponsorship and everyone wants this Nike sponsorship, or like you said, everyone wants to go to LSU or whatever these, these big schools are similar to the the brand deals. Okay. That's great. But are you just athlete number 6,000? Is it just like, here's like our athlete plan. You're going to get this shipped to you every single month. Here's your contract. And we're, we're kind of like forgot about you because we signed you, but like we have all these other athletes in the mix and not to say that like Nike is, is like that, or that's a bad deal. Um, no, but I'm just saying you don't have to go, you know, for that, that one biggest brand, there's other brands that can align with you. Just like you said, with the schools that can align with the goals that you have um, outside of sports, as well as giving the opportunity to build your personal brand. What if you want to start a podcast and there's uh, a brand that will work with you to launch it and like be the supporter of the podcast and the presenter and get you an editor or do some of these things or work with you to leverage their platform so that you gain more of an audience off that. Um, There's a lot of different things that you can do if you're just creative and you think again, like what you guys do with the recruiting process, you think holistically more than just, you know, the sport or the clout or whatever that is. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think it it harkens back to that point that we talked about earlier. I mean, the school is going to make you work for them. So make the school work for you. Yeah. Just. Exactly. Yeah. Good. Well, well said. Um, I have two questions I always end things off with. Um, The first is out of all the daily habits that you have, if you can only pick one, what is that one biggest game changer? Probably my morning list. I don't know what I would do without that. I think that that it just keeps some, I don't remember even where I heard it to be hundred percent honest with you, but something that's really helped me with time management and with my anxiety is, you know, somebody said, you know, take a minute, take two minutes in the beginning of the day, write down all the things that are on your mind that you feel like you need to accomplish or need to get done, cross out the things you have no control over. And then when you have that last list, start trying to figure out how to get those things fixed that day. And that for me has been a world changer. It's kept me way more focused in, in what I want to do and in, in what I want to accomplish each day. And I've seen substantive change but when, when trying to implement that. Mm, so important because I think a lot of people who are, whether they're athletes or creators or business owners, if they're out there like trying to achieve some goal, you wake up with like a level of anxiety of like, <laughs> oh, what do I have to do today? Like, I, I this is a new day. I got to do this, 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 is this. But if you have something like a list, like for me, it's writing my training the night before. So I'm like, okay, I know, you know, at 10 a.m. I'm going to the gym and this is what I have. And then when I get back, I have this video to edit or this to do. And um, yeah, having that list definitely clarifies things because all of a sudden you can end up at the end of your day and you're even more anxious than you started because you've been running around like touching little projects and never actually getting, you know, a big one moving forward. Exactly. Awesome. And then the last one is you're like at the end of your life, you're looking back on everything you've done. What is the impact that you wanted to have made? I want to change the way we approach college selection and student athletes, especially when it comes to American athletics. I think that if I can, if I can look back and I can see that I have made a substantive positive difference in the kids that I've worked with and the kids that our company has been able to, to, to help, then everything else is just gravy beyond that. It's, it's a passion point for me. And I think it's, we can, we can make that better. It just takes a little bit of reframing. 
Amazing. I, th- I think it's so important helping like the young generation, like the youth of, of the, the, these days, because of course there's a lot of us that end up, you know, broken or things that we need to fix or not need to fix, you know, but like we've, we've had these ex- traumatic experiences that we need to heal from and work through. That yeah. takes a lot longer than like just trying to prevent them in the, in the first place or giving people at least the tools to know how to deal with them when they come up, which is why I think, you know, working with the, the high school at level athletes or just high schoolers in general, high school age people is just so important because it's such a transformative, you know, few years of people's lives, um, especially then as they go on to college. I think it's some of the most transformative because of course, like kind of that, that blueprint of who you are, you know, it comes from childhood and all these things you've learned, but that's, that's mostly the parents. And then when you get in that high school, you're kind of distanced from your parents, you're finding out who you are outside of that. And that's where like mentors like you, like yourself and, and what your business does is so important for those athletes. Absolutely. Yeah. No, if we we're in a very lucky position to be able to share that knowledge with somebody and hopefully if they can just miss one hiccup, then at least we've made a positive difference in some direction. Yeah, 100 percent. Or at least, you know, get, give them the uh, the the knowledge of like, OK, if you do get, do make this decision and hit that hiccup, yeah. like at least this is what to do, because sometimes people do have to learn uh, on their own, as I've definitely learned the hard way. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. So I know we did an NAL bootcamp uh, together and you guys offer a lot of different consulting um, uh, packages and things. So where can people learn more about that? Where can people find that stuff? Uh, where can they follow along? Yeah, absolutely. So our, our website's going to have a lot of our information, www.athletes2athletes.com. Um, I think it's on my shirt here. Let's see here. Boom. If they can see that. There it is. Uh, so website, you can find all of our information. You can schedule intro calls with myself and the other advisors to discuss what we do in more detail, how we might be able to help you. Um, you can find us on Instagram, athletes to athletes, Facebook, athletes to athletes, Twitter. I think we're A2A advising because we have too many characters. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, TikTok. We're, we're trying to get on TikTok. We're oh, not nice. cool, but we're trying to get on TikTok. We're working on it. <laughs> We took some, we took some tips from you on the NIL bootcamp. We're working on it. We're getting, awesome. we're getting things going. Yeah. There go. Yeah. TikTok's the place to be. I love TikTok. <laughs> I love watching it. I got to learn how to use it a little better. <laughs> well, that's the key though. Like just, just keep watching and like, then that'll help you get inspiration for creating stuff. Like that's always my, my, my tip to everybody is like spend time watching. Like now I don't consume as much. I'll, I'll say like my boyfriend gets stuck in the TikTok loop, like just he's like he never posts anything he just watches 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 and he'll be like watching all night and I'm like I can't stand the sound of TikTok like <laughs> at nighttime just like you know because it's like 10 seconds of one sound or five seconds of one sound and skipping, skipping oh yeah just rapid fire but uh but yeah but like when you start out for sure especially you want to create stuff like yeah it's like okay I need inspiration like what are other people doing and there's such I mean college athletes on there are so creative it's crazy oh yeah it's it's been really fun to like watch and try and learn it's it's cool to see a new medium come into light. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely put the website in the show notes so people can go check that out. And thank you so much for for spending the time and sharing your knowledge and your story um, on everything, you know, college sports and college athletes. I hope this helps a lot of athletes going through the process or parents who might have athletes going through the process or anyone who just wants to gain some insight of, you know, what it takes to actually be a, a college athlete. I think a lot of us up in Canada don't, uh, you know, fully grasp the, how the pressure that are put on athletes, even at the high school level. So. Yeah, no, thank you so much for letting me come on and chat with you. This was an absolute blast and hopefully we can do it again sometime. Hey, I think that the greatest gift in life is presence. So thank you so much for gracing me with your presence of tuning in to this episode. Now, something that I would appreciate a ton and would help this podcast keep growing is if you, one, take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your social media so more people can find the podcast and hopefully we can help impact more people. As well as number two is if you can leave a rating and a written review. That means so much. And once again, thank you for being here.